Good morning. Good morning. So we've been going through, I think probably everybody's been here and is familiar with the, the series that we've been doing. It's been looking at the Apostles' Creed, and I'm not going to quote all of it because I didn't write it down here and I don't have it memorized. I could get pretty close. But the section that we're looking at this morning is just a very short piece in the creed. It's actually four words in total. Um, and it kind of comes in the middle of uh, the creed. It begins, it talks about the Father, it talks about the Son, and the work that the, that the Lord Jesus did on the cross. And it, it works down through these sayings. And there's it, there's kind of a bit more information at the beginning, and then it, we get towards the end of the creed, and it's just like this bullet form of just bam, bam, bam. There's a whole bunch of things stated all at once in very short form. And we're near the end. There's only one other aspect of the creed, or one more statement in the creed that we're going to look at next Sunday. And, and so in this sort of bullet form, we see that the creed states, I believe in the Holy Spirit in the communion of saints, in the Holy Catholic Church, in the forgiveness of sins, and in the life everlasting. Amen. So that, the, we just have these statements, these quick, abrupt, brief statements. And they're not, they're not intended to be complete theological arguments or anything like that. They are, they are small, little statements that remind us of, and I've said this before, that they remind us of sort of the essence, the, the, the key aspects of the gospel and what we believe and hold to. Things that are non-negotiable for us in our Christian faith. And so this morning, the one we are looking at, the, the particular aspect of the creed we're looking at, is the statement, the remission of sins, or the forgiveness of sins. And... <clears throat> If you hear that, in, in one sense, it's like, that's so basic. And it's so basic. It's so simple. The forgiveness of sins. Of course I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Like that, it, in, the, in the, the more basic sense, it's just so obvious um, that that is something we believe in as, as Christians. But... Unlike other aspects of the creed, our belief in God the Father and who He is, our belief in Jesus Christ and who He is and the work that He accomplished for us, our belief in the Holy Spirit, these aspects are, are what, when we say I believe in these things, they are, our belief, our faith in those things in a sense, are what procures for us the latter things, right? And so, when we say the remission of sins, or I believe in the remission of sins, by saying I believe in the remission of sins does not procure something for you. Your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross is what procures for you this part, right? And so, we need to keep in mind that there's, you don't get this by simply believing. I, you can't just say, I believe in the remission of sins as, a, as something unto itself. It does not stand alone. You have no remission of sins unless there's some 
method by which that is accomplished. Now, when we talk about the remission of sins, I want, I want us to realize that it will be simple in, the, in concept in a sense. It is, it is the problem for every human being. Right? It is the great obstacle which we all face is sin. Right? It is not just this small little itty-bitty thing that we, we, you know, we just have to overcome this thing. It is our ultimate problem. Sin. And just to kind of point this out, I want to go right to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. There's one more chapter after this, but Revelation chapter 21. And I'm just going to read a couple verses uh, here in chapter 21. Two spots. Starting in verse 6. Jesus speaking. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But... But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then skip right down to the end of the chapter. Verse 26. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. This is speaking of the New Jerusalem. will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <clears throat> Sin is a big problem. It's not something that just has minor consequences in our lives. It has ultimate, eternal consequences for us. Right? At the end of Revelation, we see very clearly that sin is what will prevent you from having any inheritance in God's kingdom. You will never enter that righteous, holy city, the city of God. You will never enter that if there is deceit or anything vile found in you. And this notion that we see in the world, and sometimes it's, it's almost embraced by the church, this notion of sin being something that can be balanced out by better acts. Right? That you, you're not really a bad person, you just do some bad things, things occasionally. Balance that out. Do some better things, and it's okay. You will, you'll be alright. And Jesus spoke of, of yeast and of leaven, and, and he said it only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole loaf. 
And sin is like that. It does not take, it, it's not like you can put a little bit of yeast in the, in the dough and it just stays there and does nothing. It works through the whole batch. And it permeates all of it. You can't just simply take it out after. It's there and it's part of all of it. Jesus also said that if your hand makes you sin, you should cut it off. It's better to go through life without a hand than to be eternally separated from God. Right? Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here. If your eye makes you to sin, Jesus said, rip that eye out of your head. Get rid of it. It's better to go through life with only one eye than to let sin live there. What is he saying? He's saying sin is atrocious. Right? And he's not saying that you can cut sin out of yourself. He's not saying you can remove your eye and sin is dealt with. Or you can cut off your hand and sin is dealt with. Because sin is not from my hand. It's not from my eye. It is permeating throughout my body. You, you know, if you started just acting that way, it would be a very short time before you would be a limbless nothing. Your heart, hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your tongue. What would you not have to remove and still sin would be there? Right? Jesus is not saying mutilate your body. He's pointing out the severity of sin and how we should think about sin. Treat sin like it really matters. Don't think that sin is nothing. And no, you cannot just simply cut off a part of your body and sin is gone. It does not work that way. We're going to be sharing a meal here, having a potluck shortly. If I were to take a little pinch of E. coli when nobody was looking, and I, and I went and I just sprinkled it randomly around on that meal, and then after that, everybody's about to go and eat, and I said, by the way, I put E. coli in here. Now, I may have put in only one dish, I may have put in all the dishes, but it was just a tiny little bit. So you just go help yourself, it's okay. Who's going to go eat the meal? You would consider the entire meal ruined, destroyed. Only good to be thrown into the garbage. Nobody's going to eat that, unless you're somewhat insane, maybe you would. <laughs> we all know that you can't just go in and take a scoop and get rid of a little bit and the meal is saved, right? Sin is like that. It permeates all of it. It ruins all of it. And that's what sin does to us. <clears throat> so sin is not something that can be just simply cut out. It's not something either that can be dealt with by, it says that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. That is there is no forgiveness, no dealing with sin ultimately without the shedding of blood. But we, we are told in Hebrews that much blood was shed. In fact, we look through the Old Testament, blood was shed every day for sin by means of animals being sacrificed. And the priests offering those sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, we see this. And Hebrews tells us 
that all those sacrifices of all those animals could never take away sin. It still remained. It covered it, but it remained. So, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins, and yet the blood of animals was not enough. It requires blood. Yes, it requires, sin requires blood. It requires your blood. That's the cost of sin. And not just a little prick on the finger, there's my payment for sin. No, it's, it's talking ultimate bleeding out your blood poured out completely unto death. That's the, that's the cost. That's the payment of sin. Death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Right? That's the wages of sin. And so sin requires a payment. It's a heavy payment. And yes, you can make it for yourself. It is your death and your punishment by God, His wrath poured out upon you. And no other alternative but that. Just you suffering the consequences of your sins in yourself. Under God's wrath. And there is no escaping that in yourself. None. There's nothing you can do. The scriptures are very clear. There's nothing you can do. All of your efforts, all of your attempts to do anything to fix that are vain and futile. think about sin, there is a verse in Acts chapter 10. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, is speaking to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He's been sent to speak to him and preach the gospel to this centurion. And Peter says this he says in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 42, He, <clears throat> that is God, the Lord Jesus, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives remittance or forgiveness of sins through his name. And there's a lot right here that we're gonna that we can think about, and there's a whole bunch of other passages I want to talk about. But I want to focus on one thing there, the statement that Peter makes. He says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Peter's saying that all the prophets spoke about one thing, that there was someone coming who was going to deal with sin. There was someone coming who was going to make it that we can have remittance or remission, forgiveness of sins. Peter says, all the prophets, this was the message through the Old Testament. Look through the prophets, see what they taught, see what they said. <clears throat> now, I wish Peter had just given us a list of all the prophets that he was speaking about here, but he doesn't do that. He's speaking to a Roman centurion who would not have even known who these prophets were. But I want to just spend a few moments to show you, and again, this is just going to barely touch on this topic, but that the Old Testament, the anticipation of the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament was that God was going to do something about sin because it was our great Challenge. It was the thing that with sin present in our lives, we had no hope, right? We look at Revelation, we see at the end result of all things, if sin isn't dealt with, we are thrown into the lake of fire, we experience the second death, and we are excluded from the new Jerusalem and from God's presence, right? If it's not dealt with, that is our ultimate outcome of our lives. And so this idea, this need, this desperation for forgiveness of sins, we see in Psalm 51, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just, just the heart of what David is saying here after he has sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. Right? An atrocious sin. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We'll read one more. Let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Right? The plea of David, hear it again and again and again. God, deal with my sin. God, help me. God, save me. God, do something about my sin. Don't keep this against me. That ought to be the plea of every human being. God, help me. I can't do anything. I'm stuck. Forgive me of my sins. Do something, please, God. Psalm 79. Another writer of the Psalms, Asaph, this is not David speaking, says, 
Verse 9, Psalm 79, verse 9, Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Pleading, again, Asaph pleading in the Psalms, Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Do something. Isaiah 53, if there's ever been a more clear picture of prophetic word in the Old Testament talking about what Peter said, all of the prophets spoke about these things. What clearer <coughs> picture in the Old Testament do we have that God was going to do something through his suffering servant than what we have in Isaiah chapter 53? Isaiah chapter 53, I, the whole chapter is just a, a continuous thought here on this very topic. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now pay close attention. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Yet, in verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and through the Lord make his life a guilt offering. Down in verse 11, by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I think Peter must have been thinking very much of Isaiah 53 when he made that statement to Cornelius that the prophets spoke about these things. The prophets spoke about the one, the suffering Christ, the suffering Messiah who would deal with sins and procure this Thing, this thing that we say, I believe in the remission of sins, in the forgiveness of sins. The prophets spoke about that. Also, Jeremiah 31, where Forrest read this morning. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. Won't we reread all of it? I just want to, we'll just emphasize. 
This is the promise of the new covenant. And it find in its final statement, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. One of the one of the benefits, the benefit of the new covenant is that God does something that removes our sins. Remember, he will remember our sins no more under the new covenant. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we'll read starting at verse 27. This is the Lord Jesus instituting this meal right here that we are celebrating this morning and celebrate every single week. There's a reason we celebrate it every single week. Jesus said, then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This, this is Jesus saying, this is the new covenant. I'm instituting it right now. When he spoke those words, he was saying, the new covenant starts now. That promise in Jeremiah that there would be forgiveness of sins, Jesus said, it's now. It's in my blood. You have forgiveness of sins because of my blood. We are in that new covenant now. Praise God. We are in that new covenant. Amen. I just want to take a quick step back because this, this phrase, the remission of sins that's in the creed, it's not, it, it's not something they made up for the creed. It was a statement that is repeated again and again and again through the New Testament in particular. And it's always associated with the work of Christ. Always associated with the work of Christ, particularly his suffering on the cross, his shedding his blood and his death. That is where we find remission, forgiveness of sins, is in Christ. And we'll, we'll look at a whole bunch of passages shortly that points that out. But I wanted to just think about this idea, this, this word remission, and the idea of forgiveness, because of many new modern translations, older translations often use the word remission, some newer ones as well, but forgiveness is often placed there, and, and I don't think we capture the essence of what happens by the blood of Christ for sins. When we just simply say forgiveness, because we, we, when we forgive something, there's something always remains. There's always this holding back a little bit of, I'm holding, as much as we may try to completely let go of an offense against us, 
there's always within us a memory of that. And, I, and we have to, again and again, struggle to let go of those things. And so forgiveness with God concerning sin, when it's paid for by Christ, is not like that. He does not constantly revisit those things. This word forgiveness and remission, it is dismissal, release, full pardon. Something that has been sent away. And God described it as as far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your sins from you. And that's not talking like around a sphere where it comes back together on the other side again. We're talking in a continual straight line. There is no distance that you can even imagine how far that has been removed from you. In other words, it is gone forever, never to be revisited again when Christ has paid for your sins. This idea of God completely pardoning sin for the believer, it is the essence of what we preach. It is the culmination when we preach of this is what can be done for you. This is where we're going with the gospel message. It is that brother and sister or person who I'm talking to, God has made provision so that your sins can be gone. Luke 24, 47. Luke 24, 47. Well, sorry, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus, in the commission, he sends out his, his disciples, the twelve apostles, here, 11 apostles, his disciples that are going to preach this gospel to all the nations. And what are they preaching? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. That is the message that we are preaching. God has made provision to forgive your sins. And where there is no sin and there is no offense, there is nothing between you and God any longer. And so, what did the apostles preach? Acts chapter 2. We'll start at verse 36. It's Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he, he gives an entire sermon. And always read that sermon re repeatedly. Go back there often. But the culmination of that sermon, therefore let all Israel, starting at verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter 
and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 10.43, where we already were at, where Peter is speaking to Cornelius. All of the prophets spoke about these sayings, that through faith in Jesus, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the message of the gospel, that there is provision made in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 I just want to emphasize again and again that there is provision and it is the message of the gospel. You cannot preach a gospel that excludes the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Ephesians 1.7 We'll start a little earlier. Verse 6 to the praise of his glory, glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are you getting the picture? Colossians 1.14. Let's just move a little further. And just I wanted, you know, we're looking at we looked at Peter preach this. We see Jesus said this. We see Paul is repeating this in his letters to the churches. Colossians. Colossians 1.14. Again, we'll start a bit early. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Romans, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We'll start in verse 21. <clears throat> but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement. And that can be, or as one who would turn aside from wrath, taking away sin. That idea of sin being removed through faith in His blood.
<clears throat> Why is forgiveness of sins and remission of sins a statement? And one of the final statements in these statements are, are the <clears throat> benefits. These are the benefits of believing in those first statements, right? The benefits of believing in who God is as the creator of all things and who Jesus Christ is as his son and as the one who has suffered and died on a cross and poured out his blood and rose again. It is by believing in these things that we then <clears throat> have the benefits of believing in those things. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the communion of saints. We have the church. And we have forgiveness of sins. And next week we'll see we have eternal life. All these things are ours through faith in Christ. And in his work that he has done on our behalf. final thought in closing this morning and we'll wrap this up. Think about what God has done for you in Christ. Right? You are so far removed from any hope of ever being with God on your own. There was zero hope. Right? Zero there was nothing you were ever going to be able to accomplish in any way to, to obtain what we needed, which is life eternal with a holy and righteous God to forever enjoy Him. You were never getting that. Instead, the exact opposite was your reward. Eternally separated, eternally judged because of your sins. That was your portion. But in Christ we have received this abundant forgiveness through his blood. Galatians chapter 2 talks about this exchange that takes place, that our sins transferred onto Christ and Christ's righteousness transferred to us. Someone called it the great exchange. And that, that transformation, that exchange that took place where we now have the righteousness of Christ imputed, credited to our account. And that through faith in Him and His work. And so my final thing I want to just talk about is, is in view of all this that you have received, this abundant, precious gift you have received, there is, there is implication for us as well as believers and recipients of such a gracious gift of forgiveness, total and complete from God. And that is that we are told, forgive, forgive, even as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. That's the extent of our forgiveness towards each other. 
This kind of forgiveness that we're looking at this morning, God says, do this to each other. Express this sort of forgiveness to each other. I don't know if any of us have ever forgiven as God has forgiven us. In fact, I know we haven't because we cannot. But that is the, that is the, the aim that we ought to have in our lives when we think about forgiving each other. It ought to be with this thought in mind about our sins being forgiven by God. And it ought to, it ought to bring us onto our knees to ask God for help to do these things He wants us to do. Let's just finish and pray. Father, I, I just give you thanks that you did not just cast us aside. You did not leave us to wallow in the filth and mire of of our sins and our debauchery, Lord. But through Christ and through his work and through your mighty power, you reached down and you rescued us and you cleansed us and you washed the filth from us, Lord. All of our sins are washed clean by the blood of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you have done this. And we believe, Lord, that we are clean because of Christ. And we give you all the glory because you alone deserve any glory. There is nothing in us but to say thank you, God. In Jesus' name.